Well, of course, they're keeping a close eye on the weather. The rainfall is let up. Here is Armel Castellan from Environment Canada Meteorologist uh, talking about the rainfall here. November is typically our wettest, most active month. And what's incredible about this event is that it has essentially brought us almost, if not surpassing, all of November average precipitation when you average 1981 through 2010 and has brought that in essentially just under 48 hours. Okay, that's uh, Armel Castellan from Environment Canada on the record rainfall that we saw yesterday. Let's talk about the amazing rescue effort we saw yesterday by Canada Task Force 1, the rest high-tech rescue operation. And here is, have a listen to this. This is Riley McDowell, who is one of the evacuees rescued by one of those helicopters yesterday, talking about how amazed he was to see these military choppers drop down and land on that on that highway. Have a listen to this. I figured we were going to be there all day today and probably into tonight because no machinery had showed up to clear either of those mudslides. Um, I looked at that highway and I couldn't imagine they could land a helicopter anywhere on it. I couldn't believe they landed there. He landed literally on top of a pile of mud and broken trees and we jumped in and got out. Okay, let's check in now with Captain Jonathan Gormick. He's a spokesperson for Canada Task Force One, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Jonathan, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Okay, Jonathan, it was an amazing effort to rescue people on that highway yesterday. Congratulations to you and your team. Do you think you got everybody out there? Well, that's what we have to determine today, unfortunately. I mean, our best information is that, uh, I mean, we certainly know that we got anyone who was trapped between the two slide paths out. Um, that was incredible work by those cormorant pilots and uh, our, the assistance from Agassiz Fire Department. Um, happy to get them out, especially before uh, dusk hit, because uh, that would have made operations a whole lot more difficult. This morning, unfortunately, we we have to take the undertake the task of looking through those debris fields. I mean, um the, the situation was so dynamic. Uh, it was great work by Agassiz Fire to pull people out of some of those vehicles on Sunday evening when the slides first struck, but it was dark, the weather was inclement, and uh, we're not really sure if vehicles were pushed over the bank that aren't accounted for or were buried in debris that we haven't found yet. So uh, there were no indications yesterday by any of the crews that were working in the area that they heard people or uh, that people were trapped. But today we have to pull, pick through that pile bit by bit with machinery, uh, canine search units and uh, ground rescue teams to make sure that everyone's accounted for or that there's nothing left uh, in those uh, debris flows. Do you have any reports of people missing? No, we don't have any confirmed reports. And one of the complicating factors yesterday uh, was, of course, that information was coming in from other areas in southwestern BC of people that were trapped. There was, in fact, even a slide east of our operational area that had people trapped on Highway 7. Um, so people were either reported missing, hadn't checked in, were known to be in the area, or were reporting that they were somewhere where they didn't see aircraft or, or our uh, search crews coming in. Um, that whole group has been released, thankfully. Uh, Ministry of Transport was able to clear the road and they were able to travel back to Hope last night. But you can see how complicated the information flow was yesterday. So no ability to really pin down if people are unaccounted for or if they're unaccounted for in the area that we'll be working in. So that's why it's gotta be a manual search effort. Speaking to Captain Jonathan Gormick from the Canada Task Force One rescue operation about yesterday's dramatic rescues on the highway. Uh, it was, you heard a clip there from one of the people that your folks rescued yesterday, very grateful to, to get picked up by that helicopter saying he was just amazed to see that, uh, that Canada, that Canadian Armed Forces helicopter drop down and land on that highway. 
and the pictures were incredible too. Can you just describe the the logistics of that? Like, is there landing gear under that that helicopter, or can it land on its belly like that on the highway? How does that work? No, they do have landing gear that protrudes down from the belly, but uh, nonetheless, the the work of the pilots was absolutely incredible. Um, I was at the the hell spot here near the recon- the uh, reception center, and even to see them able to land in the uh, like extremely inclement weather with heavy rain and heavy gusts of wind. Uh, I mean, more than that, a few times it took several uh, approaches for the aircraft to successfully land. I mean, it's it's not a small helicopter, and they were absolutely getting buffeted by the winds. So this, the skill and precision of those uh, helicopters are second to none yeah no it's just amazing that they were able to do that and let's, let's talk a little bit about the efforts that now continue today so you will have uh will you have aircraft back in the sky today going to these areas I don't think we need aircraft yet. We are going to head out fairly shortly and do a reconnaissance of the, uh, the slide pass. And uh, our geotechnical engineer is going to fly a drone over um, sort of where the start zone for those slides were, assess if the ground is even stable enough up there to have crews below it. We think with the amount of precipitation we've had tapering off and it being fairly dry now that that, that ground is probably stable, but we need to assess that before we send crews in. Um, and then, like I said, it'll just be manual work unless something drastically changes. Um, you know, maybe we uh, uncover someone that needs to be air evac'd to a hospital. Uh, but, you know, more than likely after this amount of time in this weather, if there is anyone in there, sadly, it'll more, li- more than likely be a recovery operation and not a rescue. Yeah. Were you able to coordinate with the people on the ground as that as that rescue effort went underway yesterday? Were you in communication with people by cell phone on the highway and telling them to gather in a certain spot? Uh, the first aircraft that made its way into that zone carried uh, 17 uh, Canada Task Force One uh, members that were in that area to coordinate the extrication effort. So you can imagine, you know, close to 300 people, all that had spent a long cold night in their vehicles and needed to be uh, prioritized or triaged to figure out who was getting on the first few aircrafts and that. And, that. and also to make it safe, uh, you know, we had two landing zones in that area. So making sure that uh, people were clear and making sure the landing zones were safe for the aircraft to land. I mean, you can imagine the, the roller wash that comes off a helicopter that size. We can't have debris blowing around or never mind blowing towards the aircraft or blowing back at uh, people. So keeping those that were to be evacuated safe until the aircraft landed and then making sure they were loading um, in, pri- in a priority sequence and in, in a safe way. And just, uh, you know what, we also brought food and water because they spent a long, cold, hungry night there. So maintaining uh, their health and wellness until they could be brought out to the reception center. Great job. Um, way to go. And thank you for coming on to talk about it today. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the situation in the city of Merritt now under an evacuation order after flooding caused the failure of the town's wastewater treatment plant, uh, of leading to immediate danger to public health and safety, and the order went out yesterday to evacuate the entire town. Let's check in with Greg Lois now, Merritt Emergency Public Information Officer. Greg, thanks you for taking the time today. Mike, thanks for having me. Greg, let's talk about First of all, how quickly this flooding occurred in the city of Merritt. Like, did you guys have any any warning? It, it seems like the town was just flooded out very quickly. 
Everything did happen very quickly, that's true. Um, so late on Sunday afternoon, we became aware of the forecast from the BC River Centre saying that there was going to be a lot of water coming down the, um, the uh, Coldwater River. And so we began making preparations for that. We activated our emergency operations centre at around 9 o'clock in the evening. And at the time, we thought we were looking at a 1 in 200 year flood. So at 1, one in the morning, we began evacuating that uh, property and residents who lived on that floodplain that we expect the uh, water to reach about once every 200 years. And at the time, we thought that was going to be an extremely major deal. Uh, so we had the RCMP, our fire department, the search and rescue teams and other volunteers knocking on doors at night and getting everyone out. Unfortunately, as the night progressed and turned into Monday morning, things got worse. Uh, at around six o'clock in the morning, I think the wastewater treatment plant um, had to be evacuated because the public works yard had basically turned into part of the Coldwater River. And so um, later, later in the morning, we were forced to issue an evacuation order for the entire city. And as I speak, the whole of the city of Merritt remains on evacuation order and anyone who can safely leave Merritt should do so. Has everyone got out? Are there, are there any indications that people have stayed behind? Uh, there are definitely some people who did stay behind. Um, for some people, I think this is because, say, they lived in a higher part of town, so they didn't see the flooding as an immediate threat. But unfortunately, uh, because we've lost the wastewater treatment plant, we cannot process any sewage. Uh, so anything that comes through is just being discharged straight into the rivers. And also uh, our groundwater uh, wells were uh, became contaminated as a result of an electrical interruption. And so there is no drinking water available in the city. So this is why it doesn't matter where you live in Merritt, um, people who can safely leave should do so. Unfortunately, we know there are some parts of town where they cannot safely leave. Uh, we have a community called Collettville, which is to the south of the Coldwater River, and it's connected to the rest of the city by three bridges. Uh, that was one of the first places we began to evacuate because it um, had, uh, as I say, the three bridges connecting. And so we knew that with the water levels rising, that was at risk. Unfortunately, well, last night, one of those three bridges collapsed. Uh, so wow. since we cannot assess the structural integrity of the remaining two bridges until the water levels recede, anyone who is currently in Collettville has to stay in Collettville, and we have no way to reach them. They're completely cut off. Wow, that's very troubling news to hear that. How many people do you think are trapped in there? Uh, there's a few, a few hundred people who live in Collettville. Uh, as I said, that was one of the first places that we uh, began to evacuate and issued an evacuation order. Everyone should have left at that time. Unfortunately, we know that some people did not, and so they remain in their properties at this time. Well, okay, speaking to Greg Lois, he's the Emergency Public Information Officer in Merritt, and we're talking about the flooding and the evacuation of, of the town. The people were told to go to Kamloops and Kelowna, right? How has that process gone? Uh, that's correct. We initially asked anyone who um, had uh, people to stay with, say friends or family in Kamloops or Kelowna, to make their way to that, those locations. Or if they couldn't, uh, uh, if they didn't know anyone there, then we sorted people by their house numbers. We have learned this morning that Kamloops have reached their capacity of uh, coping with evacuee numbers. So at this point, we're asking anyone who can safely travel over the Okanagan connector east to Kelowna to make their way there. Is, is anyone missing? 
Uh, I'm afraid anything on that, I would have to refer you to Search and Rescue and RCMP. I know that they are responding to calls to people who require assistance, and our RCMP detachment is still operating at full capacity, both uh, looking for uh, anyone who is um, uh, making calls and saying they're in distress, and also doing proactive patrols of this city to ensure the security. Um, But uh, we're, I'm afraid, not in a position at City Hall to uh, talk about any, uh, any missing persons at this time. What are the what are the conditions in the town today? I mean, the pictures that we saw overnight were just devastating with the town completely looked like most of the town basically underwater. Is there any indication the water is receding this morning? The water is receding this morning. That's the one piece of good news. Um, It's going down almost as fast as it came up in the first place. Unfortunately, all that does is uh, mean that we have in sight the possibility of doing inspections, of seeing, uh, say, uh, what kind of damage has been done to the bridges, what kind of condition the wastewater treatment plant is in, how much debris there is on our roads. And until we can do those assessments and we know what position we're in, we're not going to be in any kind of a situation to know what the future of the evacuation order looks like. At this time, Anyone who can safely leave Merritt should do so, and anyone who is out of Merritt uh, cannot come in. We have barricades on the highways, and no one is allowed to enter the city unless they're part of the emergency operations response. Greg, it's such a desperate situation, and we just got just a little under a minute left here. For people who want to help, is there any way that people can help the the people who have been evacuated here? What do you guys need? To be honest, the thing that we need more than anything is space. We cannot operate wastewater. We cannot operate drinking water. So we cannot have people in merit who do not need to be in merit. We are using porta potties and bottled water for the emergency responders at City Hall, at the RCMP, at the fire detachment. Um, I know that the Red Cross typically accept donations. And also there's, uh, say, ways you can donate to the emergency support services in Kamloops and Kelowna. But uh, in merit, more than anything, what we need is for the people who can safely leave Merritt to get out of Merritt and give us the space to work and recover from this disaster. Greg, thank you for taking the time today. Good luck the rest of the way here today. Thank you so much for having me. As we continue talking about the flooding disaster that has struck British Columbia, you just heard from some of the worst hit areas of the province in the town of Merritt. 7,000 population, the entire town has been evacuated. And you heard the update there about the situation there. People heading to Kamloops and Kelowna. Uh, some people, it appears, may have stayed behind. Uh, there's one bridge that's been washed out, trapping some people in the town. Other town in British Columbia really badly hit by flooding is the community of Princeton. About half the town is underwater after those extreme rains just swelled the Tulamine and Similkameen rivers, forcing the rivers to overflow their banks and the dikes protecting the town. And that town was quickly swamped with water. Very, very little notice there for the people trying to get out of the way from the rising water levels. Let's check in with the mayor of Princeton now, Mayor Spencer Coyne. And I'm pleased to welcome him to the show. Mayor, thank you for coming on today. Oh, you're welcome. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Um, How are you doing? And how how are the people of Princeton doing this morning? Uh, We're hanging in there. We woke up to no water today, so... Add another another thing to our list of things to solve. <laughs> okay, there's uh, why is there no water? Uh, we're trying to figure that out right now. We believe there's a breach somewhere in one of our main lines. Um, so we we're isolating sections of the town to try to find pressure, and then isolate that to uh, eliminate that that break. Can you talk a little bit about how quickly the the water the water came up through the town? 
Oh, it was unbelievably fast. Um, you know, the, the story I keep telling is at two o'clock, we were at the three foot mark and by 11 o'clock midnight, we were over 12 feet. Yeah. And was the situation, can you talk about the dike work there? I mean, are there dikes there that protect the town? We have an amazing, uh, uh, ring of dikes around the community. Um, 1995, we had a, our last major flood and, and we built, um, to above the high water mark on that, and that flood. And it's, you know, it, it actually flowed over top of the dikes wow. the other night when, when it breached. So, right. And, uh, so people, did people have any warning at all? Uh, not much. Uh, yeah. it came up so fast that, you know, we, we were in the process of, of putting alerts out. And as we were putting, as the alerts came out, the orders had to come in because, the water just came up that fast. Usually we have hours, and this time we had minutes. That's for real. Speaking to Spencer Coyne, the mayor of Princeton, have parts of the town been evacuated? What's the situation there? Yeah, we've got 295 properties under evacuation order. We have roughly 300 on alert. Um, the river has come down significantly today. It got, really, it got cold last night. It froze this morning. Um, so the water level dropped. It started snowing up high. So as long as that weather continues, we should see more, more droppage in the, in the, in the height of the rivers. Have you had any reports of anyone missing or injured? Uh, I talked to the RCMP yesterday morning. As far as they, uh, they knew there was no, nobody lost and no injuries. No significant anyways. I mean, there's going to be scrapes and bruises, right? That's reassuring to hear. For the people who have been evacuated, where have they been told to go? Um, so the, the, the kind of go-to now is try to find friends and family to stay with. Uh, we do have a number of people that, are, that don't have anywhere to go, and uh, we have limited hotel capacity in town just due to the sheer volume. Um, so... We've placed a few people in local hotels, and we have about 30 that were, uh, they should be on their way to Kelowna right now. Speaking to Spencer Coyne, the mayor of Princeton, with regard to the emergency situation there, uh, any indication of when people might be able to return? No, not at this time. Uh, I'm just looking at an area right now that was, uh, if you saw the pictures that were I was under, under about five feet of water yesterday, and it's. I don't know, there's probably a foot of mud at least. Oh man. Yeah, and uh are you getting are you getting good cooperation with other with other emergency officials? Like are you satisfied with the with the response from emer- from emergency services? Um you know, we're 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 getting support where where there is support. Um local industry has come stepped up in a big way. They're they're helping us. They're supplying labor and machines. Uh, the mines supplying rock as well as machines and 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 whatnot. So, and then the community itself is is here doing what they can do. So, you know, we're it's a team effort, and we're we're doing everything we can do. We're also yeah. cut off to, from a lot of places too, right? Right. So, how can people help? What do you guys need there? Uh, honestly, right now. If you're, if we haven't called to help, ask for help, it's best kind of just stay out of the area. Yeah. Um, you know, we have limited capacity on the roads because we only have one road in and one road out right now. Highway three is closed in both directions. 
Highway 5A is the only way in and out of town. So if uh, you're not doing essential travel, please please stay off the highways right now. Mayor, I wish you best of luck today and the days ahead recovering from this disaster. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. You guys have a good day. All right. Welcome back to the show. It was a day of rising rivers, relentless rain, road closures, mudslides, and evacuations over much of British Columbia yesterday. And the rising floodwaters, a new hazard that's being faced more and more often by businesses and homeowners. It used to be when you think about natural disasters in British Columbia, a lot of people think about earthquakes or forest fires water rising water levels and flooding uh, now becoming a more common thing to worry about now for businesses according to a recent survey by the insurance bureau of canada businesses and homeowners are becoming increasingly worried about floods and flooding events are becoming more common let's discuss that now with my guest jim mandeville jim is the senior project manager at first on-site restoration i'm pleased to welcome him to the show jim thank you for coming on today thank you very much okay when we talk about rising water and and flood uh, flood events in in british columbia this is becoming more and more common here in our province and what are you just what are you finding uh, about that is that becoming more common now for flood events in the last few years well, it certainly is. And as our climate continues to evolve and, and become more erratic and more severe, we're certainly seeing more flooding than we ever have in the past. Uh, flooding like we're seeing today in the last couple of days in the lower mainland, we're unfortunately somewhat used to seeing in eastern Canada, but has uh, historically been a much more rare occurrence in this part of the country. Yeah, and um, tell me a little bit about your business in, in terms of the, the aftermath from flood events. What do you guys do there? Certainly. So we, we specialize in helping businesses and homeowners get back on their feet after they experience flood damage or fire damage, wind damage, things like that. Uh, so what we do is we come in, you know, as the water's receding, get the water out of there, and, they, and then work together with the business owner and or the homeowner to get their, their, uh, their place clean, safe, and dry. Uh, and ready for them to use again with a real focus on getting businesses back in action as fast as possible. Yeah, when we take a look at some of the dire situations we've got in, in BC right now, we've got towns like Merritt that are basically underwater, Jim, where the, the wastewater treatment facility in that town became overwhelmed. I mean, you obviously have got hazardous situations, hazardous to human health in a situation like that. Have you ever, have you ever faced a cleanup, a cleanup challenge like that? Yeah, it, definitely. And unfortunately, it's something we see, you know, more often in other parts of the country and, and in the U.S. after hurricanes. Um, you know, when we have these river overtoppings like we had in 2013 in Calgary and southern Alberta, or, or like we had just, um, you know, a year and a half ago in Fort McMurray, uh, these things do happen. And you're right, this water can be very hazardous to your health. You know, we always see on the news, the town's flooded out and there's people swimming in it. It's a horrible idea. This water is, you know, very similar to what's in your sewer. Um, it's been mixed with everything that's sitting on the road, sitting in your yard, sitting in the sewer. This is not safe stuff to be out splashing around in. Uh, and same goes for when it's in your home. And when it's in your home or in your business, the, you know, the danger is further magnified by potential exposure to electrical and other things that are in your house that are now mixed with that water. So safety should always be top of mind, and you need to be really careful before you just go splashing in there. Yeah, Jim Mandeville is my guest. First on-site restoration. So, when you do start a cleanup on a, a a disaster like this, what are some of the steps that you go through? 
Well, step one is always to do a bit of an assessment and make sure the facility, the building uh, is safe to enter, safe for our workers, safe for the owner. Uh, make sure that you know the electrical and the gas have been made safe, structurally it's made safe. And then we're going to go through and we're going to assess exactly what got wet, which building systems, which um, you know building finishes, be that drywall walls and insulation and flooring and cabinets and things like that. And then come up with a plan to get them, you know, all that wet stuff either removed or or restored uh, appropriately and get them to a point where we can then, you know, go into a more of a normal construction phase and get that building fixed. So it can definitely be an involved process. And and because of the hazards associated with the water and the potential for mold growth in buildings, if not properly managed, it's always critical you engage a professional when you're dealing with this sort of thing. Yeah, is it kind of anticipated my next question there about the dreaded mold? That's got to be a problem post-flood. Yeah, it's always a problem. I mean, the, the industry-recognized standard is that within 48 hours of, uh, of a water event, building materials within homes and businesses can begin to develop microbial growth. So the clock starts ticking when it gets wet. We can begin to see mold within 48 hours. Um, you know, depending on time, temperature, and a lot of other things, it can be a little bit faster, a little bit longer, but it, it's definitely a problem. And where it really becomes a problem in these overland flooding situations is where we see the water stagnating and flooding. So potentially, you know, people be out of their homes for a week. It's a week before the water gets down and we can even get in there. That's when we start to see some really major mold issues. And, and that can, as I'm sure everyone can appreciate, really amplify the amount of effort and, and money required to do the cleanup. How, how do you prevent that? Uh, well, the, you prevent it by acting quickly and by having a plan in place before the flood. So all that can really be done is to get the water out of there as soon as possible, engage with a, a professional to help you get it cleaned up as soon as possible. And before the flood, and, and everybody may want to think about this when you're doing a renovation, look at using mold-resistant building materials and water-resistant building materials. You know, there's different types of, uh, of drywall available now, different flooring materials that are, are much less susceptible to microbial growth. So definitely explore those options when you're doing a renovation. All right, speaking of Jim Mandeville, first on-site restoration, you guys did a recent survey that found uh, 20% of BC businesses have been interrupted due to flooding in the last five years. This is a pretty extraordinary stat. People might not be uh, realize that it's that high. Meanwhile, 70% of businesses concerned about future flooding affecting their businesses, which is maybe understandable. What kind of advice do you have for people in terms of preparing or safeguarding their home or business from potential flooding in the future? Well, definitely have a plan. I mean, you need to uh, you need to recognize that as our climate continues to evolve, that, that this is a major risk for your business. And it really should be top of mind for 100%, not just 70% of businesses and homes. Uh, so recognize the fact that this potentially is going to happen and then have a plan going forward on how you're going to mitigate it from happening. When that comes to your business, think about ways that you can mitigate water from entering your property. Think about ways that you can continue to operate your business should your facility be inundated. You know, COVID's taught us a lot of lessons about working remotely, and a lot of those lessons can be transferred to this sort of situation to keep your business above water when it's, you know, flooded out. Yeah. How about uh, flood insurance? Uh, certainly flood insurance is critical, and everyone, uh, you know, homeowners or business owners should be speaking, this is a great reminder, should be speaking with their insurance broker or whomever they purchase their insurance from and making sure that they have adequate coverage. Um also understand the cost of construction and, and repairs and things like that has increased dramatically in the last couple of years. 
due to the, uh, the labor shortage, obviously, that everyone sees, and the material shortages. So make sure you have enough insurance to cover repairs, you know, should you have a couple of feet of water in your basement or, or should your business sustain a, a substantial overland flooding event like this. Jim, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great uh, day. All right, welcome back to the show. Water receding in some parts of the province, but evacuation orders are still in place, especially in Abbotsford, where the Sumas Prairie region under an evacuation order at this hour. Let's uh, get the latest on that for you with Constable Paul Walker, Media Relations Officer, Abbotsford Police Department. Constable Walker, thank you for coming on. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good morning to you. I also have Abbotsford Fire Chief Darren Lee on the line as well. Chief Lee, thank you for doing this. Hey, you're welcome. Good morning. Thank you, guys, to both of you. Paul, let me go to you first. What is the latest here with this evacuation order, and how is that going? Uh, so, yeah, the latest order uh, is in place for the entire Sumas Prairie, uh, ranging from uh, Sumas Way in Abbotsford as far east as the Chilliwack border, uh, and from essentially Highway 1 uh, south to uh, the border of the United States. Uh, crews are actively down there. We're seeing a significant amount of water in that area right now, uh, which is uh, hampering us to go in by vehicle. Uh, any type of evacs or things that are taking place are by boat uh, or search and rescue crews via their little hovercraft as well. So it's a very dynamic situation. It's changing uh, by the minute. Uh, where there's a full complement of police, fire, and search and rescue personnel. And, uh, yeah, I'll follow our social media is where the, most of the updates are coming out in real time that will provide the public with information that they need to know. Okay, uh, how many people are affected by this order? Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's about 1,100 homes. I'll let uh, Chief Lee speak to the specifics of that. He's more okay. entrenched in the, the, those numbers and things like that, but quite a significant amount of people uh, out there in the prairie. Chief Lee. Yeah, I believe the, I think the, the best, the most accurate number we have right now is just both uh, 1,118 residences affected in the Sumas Prairie from the evacuation orders themselves. Okay, guys, let me play a, a call here that we just received on the show from Anne in Langley, who called in just a short time ago about some friends of hers who need some help in this evacuation area. And I'll play this uh, call for you and then get your thoughts on the other side here. So here was this. This was a short time ago on the show here. I have a personal um, concern about an elderly couple in just out of Abbotsford. They have a farm, and they are stranded on the second floor of their home. They've been there for two days. She's 68, and he is 87, and he has a defibrillator that he cannot reach. They're isolated, cut off, and nobody has been able to get them out. They've evacuated all around. They have an electric fence around their property, apparently. The whole main floor is flooded. They were told to go upstairs. They've been there two days. No power, no heat, and she has 30% left on her phone. They have a helicopter's gone over, and they've tried to get in. Nobody can get to them, and I'm quite concerned. They are mm. friends of the family, and um, I don't know what's going to happen. They in the, uh, are they in the, like, the Sumas Prairie area? Yes, yes, yeah, they're yeah. Uh, right by the freeway, yeah. but not that far from Abbotsford Town. Okay, uh, Constable Walker, I'm sure that, uh, you know, this dire situation she's describing there, can, can you comment on that? Are there people trapped? Yeah, so there's definitely different residents uh, in the evacuation area there that, um, that uh, we have spoken to uh, over the last 24 hours, some of which initially did not want to leave the area. 
Uh, some are very compliant and uh, uh, proceeding with the orders as requested. So we are seeing examples of what uh, your caller just described there. Uh, we are actively engaged in those situations, assessing the safest ways for crews to uh, get to these people and prioritizing them based on uh, medical events and priorities of life. Speaking to Abbotsford Police Constable Paul Walker, also Abbotsford Fire Chief Darren Lee on the line as we discuss the evacuation effort in the area. Uh, Chief Lee, is it tough to, like, let's say you have someone trapped and they can't get out because of floodwaters. Do you have any kind of boats that can go in there to get people out or how can you get people out if they, if they, if they're trapped? Yeah, there's, um, like, uh, Constable Walker mentioned, we're working, uh, really closely with search and rescue on the, what we're referring to the west side of the Sumas River, just kind of bisects the Sumas Prairie. Um, there's a dike along there that held the water. Um, for the for the most part, um, th- yesterday and then through the night until about uh, quarter after two this morning, when we had to activate some more folks, and now we're taking an approach where um, we have uh, uh, operational division set up on the east side. So we're working with uh, Central Fraser Valley Search and Rescue and Chilliwack Search and Rescue, and we're actually getting Chilliwack Search and Rescue to work back across from the Chilliwack side. One of the problems, and this may sound really strange, but one of the problems is some of the houses, as we try to approach them um, in boats and whatnot, you know, the water could be anywhere as much as four meters deep in some places. And then as they go over a roadway or or a driveway or something like that, that water um, comes up to only several inches. So it makes navigating with boats extremely hazardous. Um, We've had one, uh, one of our emergency responders uh, suffered an arm injury last night and um, so we're just trying to balance out um, obviously um, you know our, our highest priority is is public safety and, and responder safety and it, it's that balancing act um, what I would appreciate just before we jump offline is just just make sure we have that address and it's in our system and it's being tasked that we can try and help those folks out so we have the civic address but um, we're having yeah. um, we're kind of coming at it from all different sides. Um, we have uh, helicopter up doing uh, reconnaissance, um, and um, you know we'll we'll keep working and, and try and help everybody out a- as much as we can. We it's just you know when you're working around moving water, it's an incredibly dangerous situation. Just the power of moving water is um, is is um, something a lot of people don't understand, and and pooled water too is is extremely dangerous. Um, just because you just don't know what's underneath you, you, people might think they're on a roadway or something like that, but they drive into a ditch that's normally, you know, 15 feet deep and there's a meter of, of water on a roadway. So now you're dealing with a scenario where someone could be submerged up to 20 feet under water and, and, and the water is not clean. You know, it's, it's yeah. washing up everything in its path. So it's, um, so it's, it's more of, um, you know, it's really, it's really turbid or, or, you know, it's basically it's, it's uh, mud, right? So that's what we're dealing with out there. Yeah, I have that. I have that uh, specific information for you, Chief Lee, uh, for the caller who called in with the elderly couple trapped in the top floor of their home, and I can certainly pass that on to you as soon as we're as soon as we're off the air here. That'd be uh, speaking, awesome. yeah, that'd be great. Constable Paul Walker from the Abbotsford Police Department. Speaking of um, speaking of Chilliwack, I see City of Chilliwack has now also ordered an evacuation alert for Yarrow, which has now been upgraded to an evacuation order. So it sounds like right next door there's another evacuation going on. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I just saw that myself. Uh, I just stepped out to obviously be on your show this morning, so I haven't got a full uh, brief on that, but that is uh, accurate in what the media is reporting on. Yeah, and how does how does that impact? Are you guys uh, cooperate with each other across those lines? 
Yeah, I can tell you there's full cooperation. There's reporting lines. I believe we have a a senior officer on that side as well. And so we're working in partnership. There's mechanisms to do that with our radio communications and all things. So that is uh, working the way it should, and uh, we'll navigate that through the day. Okay, and and, uh, Abbotsford Fire Chief Darren Lee, uh, Chief Lee, as you confront the rest of the day here and the evacuation continues, what is the main information that you want people to know? Like if people are in this evacuation zone right now, what do you want them to do? What do you need them to know? I think if uh, if folks, uh, you know, we had the alerts on to try and give folks uh, a heads up that um, that it could we could see ourselves uh, going down to an order and you know we don't use those lightly we use those to protect uh, our citizens and our visitors safety um so we you know we tried to give as much notice as possible uh we're using modeling off the nooksack river uh, that's our problem right now is the nooksack river in abbotsford primarily because um, it's a nice sunshiny day out there now um, and the nooksacks continues to flood and that's pushing water north into canada which is you know becomes abbotsford's problem in the sumas prairie that water is going to want to work its way north and east, and it's eventually going to end up back in the Fraser. Um, so it's just a, it's a long, drawn-out process of this, uh, this um, overland flood as it, as it works its way back, um, back into the Fraser. Um, so, uh, you know, we have some really, um, really talented people working on these problems. They, they pump water out when, when appropriate, and I know that sounds weird, but we have to be really careful um, that we don't open up um, weirs and whatnot when the when the tide's high in the Fraser because there is an, uh, a window of opportunity to try and dewater as much as possible um, and I think the main thing just for folks if they were stuck in if they if they decided not to leave um, now if they're if they're abandoned uh, sorry cut off in their in their um, in their in their property um, definitely go to high ground um, and if they, if they feel like they're in a in an emergency situation just call 911 that call will get passed and um, whether it's sort of police or fire that take the lead on that file, um, we'll, we'll try and get to those folks as, as quickly and as safely as possible. I want to thank both of you for coming on. I'll let you get back to work. Thank you for doing this today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.